0: Talking today, as I said, about embracing your identity in Christ. And I won't summarize the last couple weeks. I've just simply talked about Jesus's heart to free us from all of our past failures, sin, and bondage. And last week I talked about whether or not we actually want to be free and what that means to say yes, but also follow that yes with a corresponding commitment through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so here's what we know from all that. When we surrender to Jesus, We receive freedom from our sin and from our past. And the Bible declares that we are brand new. And what this means is that our spirit is brand new. However... You might think that the war is over, but the fact is the war has only begun. How many of you have realized that when you said yes to Jesus, all of a sudden you got ushered into a battle over your soul and you thought that you surrendering to him, like this is, it was going to be peaches and it was going to be amazing, right? It, it, it was going to be butterflies and cotton candy. You thought it was going to be awesome and it is awesome, but you are at in a war right now and the Lord has overcome everything on our behalf, but we wake up in the morning and sometimes we don't feel like it. We don't speak like it. We don't live like it. And there are things that aren't quite like Jesus yet. And so how do we, with where we are and what the Bible says is true about our life, how do we stay free, And how do we move forward? Well, you might be saying, well, Pastor Ben, the enemy's not trying to persuade me back into my past because I don't have an extensive past like like you do. And every time you talk about your past, it just makes me feel better about my life, you know? (laughs) You might be saying that today, but I wanna say to you that you live in the same world that I do, and even if you don't have an extensive past, you do have a very serious enemy who wants to persuade you into the ways of the world and a thinking that is not in keeping with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whatever your past was, you still are tempted to sin. You still are tempted to wander, and so am I. And so we have to guard our heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. We have to be aware. We have to be alert. We have to understand what is happening and what God is doing. And so one of the foundational ways that we stay free and we move forward is we learn who we are in Christ, and we embrace our identity that the Bible declares about us. This is not kind of a good thing. This isn't a good idea. This is a foundational thing for every Christian. So I pray that as we dive into it today, we really discover what this means and what it looks like. And I'm not talking about what makes you different, like your personal identity, like your memories and your fingerprints and your DNA. I'm not talking about like what makes you unique. I'm talking about what makes you his. That's what the Bible teaches and, and talks to us about, and it says that Jesus is what we're to become like. This, he is not just the payment for our sins, he is the pattern for our life. And so everything I see in Jesus, that's what I'm going after, his nature, his character, his virtue. When the scriptures show us Christ, this is a pattern and a path of what it is that we're to go after because we want to be like Jesus Christ. And so I want to talk to you about identity today, and I want to do it through the Colossians, the letter of Colossians chapter three, we know that Paul has written 13 letters and he talks often about identity. He just does. He goes right after it because he knows something that we need to know and I pray that we discover. In this letter, he's writing from a prison cell and he's writing to a small but significant church. He's writing to a church that's living in a declining city somewhere around 60 AD. The readers were primarily Gentiles. They were not Jewish Um, They did not have a moral compass from a Jewish background or understand the law. They used to be pagans. They were idol worshipers. They worshiped other gods in many ways. And so he does two things before we get to our passage today. The first is he establishes a compelling theology of the supremacy of Christ. Christ is all things. All things were created through him, by him, and for him, the supremacy of Christ. He is bigger. He is greater. He is more than. This is about who Jesus is. Then he lays out even more theology about the sufficiency of Christ. This is what Jesus has done on our behalf. And he's not waiting, us, waiting for us to do something. He actually is waiting, us, waiting for us to surrender to what he's already done. His finished work is sufficient for each and every person to be reconciled into a right relationship with God. So it's his supremacy. It's his sufficiency. And after that, it seems to me that he goes after some heretical teaching that is being circulated in this church and many others, and this implica- the implications of the the teaching that they 've subjected themselves to is quite severe. some say it 's Gnosticism, some say that it 's philosophies that were maybe regulated to the first century. What you know is when you read the last half of chapter two in Colossians, it seems to me a, a good modern comparison would be new age. everybody say new age. New age. Okay, we're not part of the new age, amen. We're part of Christ. And so it seems like he's confronting modern philosophies that are appealing to Christians, that as they walk in Jesus, they're getting seduced to adding other things into their walking with Jesus and and it's destructive. And so he's addressing various things and the way that he does it is not just stop doing what you're doing. He starts to talk to them about identity, do you know who you who you are? Because if you know who you are, then you know what you're supposed to be doing. And so I love this. In Colossians chapter three, I'm gonna read 157 verses and it starts here. Somebody woke up. Verse one, it says this. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. That's the unbeliever. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth, do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and you have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. As Paul addresses these struggling believers, regardless of what their struggle is, I think he says a number of things. I'm only going to bring up a few today, but here's the first one that I think is quite clear. Number one is you are new in Christ. And when I say you, I mean me too, but I want to say these as declarations because I think that's how strong they actually are. In verse one, Paul says, if you have been raised up with Christ, this is like Paul saying, if you are a Christian, or if Jesus Christ really is the Lord of your life, or if the Spirit of God God truly lives in you, if you truly are a follower of Jesus, then do or don't do these things. He addresses the person first, and he makes no assumption. He doesn't assume everybody that's gonna read his letter is actually a Christian. And here's what we know. There are plenty of people who say or think that they're a Christian and they don't live like it. And Paul questions them, not because he wants them to question their salvation, but he wants them to evaluate, are you really a Christian? He does this in the Corinthian church as well. And he's not trying to offend anybody, but he cares and he's deeply concerned. If you're not a Christian, then you need to be. But he doesn't say, just do better, just try harder. He's actually saying, are you a Christian? Because I'm not going to address your behavior until I actually address your heart. From the heart, on the inside, do you really follow Jesus? Does the spirit of God really live inside of you? And friends, isn't that a great question for us to ask today? And here's what I wanna say to you, and I don't mean any offense by it, but we just have to go with scripture. If we do not want to follow God, something is really wrong. In our heart, if we don't want to do what the Bible says, if we're not sure, if we're always negotiating, stop where you are, ask the question, am I really a follower of Jesus? Does the spirit of the living God really live inside of me? This is a really important question. We don't want to go any further. I don't want to teach you religion. I don't want to teach you works-based theology. And Paul wasn't doing that either. He does not preach that. He is saying our response to Christ comes out of our relationship with Christ. If God is our Father and Jesus is our Savior, then the things that the Bible says is our pleasure. Come on, somebody. That was good. I was working hard for you right there. Look what he says to the Corinthians, something kind of like this. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say, in Christ, Christ. the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. If you're in Christ, whether you feel like it or not, whether you woke up today and your life was perfect or not, if you're in Christ, the Bible says that you and I are a new creation. It is positionally true. And that is where you have to start as a Christian. You can't start how you feel. You can't start with your best day or your worst day. You have to start with who you actually are because of what Jesus truly did. And it is from that place that you and I can address all of our future behavior. But it isn't until we resolve this. If I am a Christian, then I know what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do, but this is the first thing. There are a lot of biblical examples for this because you're like, well, where does this else in the Bible? And I'm like, man, there's so many places, but let me just talk to you for a moment about, about a biblical example out of the book of Exodus because everybody's at least seen the Prince of Egypt for sure. God, through Moses, set his people, the children of Israel, free. 400 years of captivity and slavery under the oppression of of the Egyptian people at that time. And Pharaoh was one of the most occult leaders that's ever walked the earth. And so under this oppression, they lost a sense of who the God of their ancestors was were. And so they're, they're living under this and they've changed. Fundamentally, they've changed as a people. They've forgotten a lot of things. They're not living in, uh, in this anticipation of the promise that God has given their forefathers. And so God delivers his people out by a mighty hand. And here they are in the wilderness after 400 years. Think about this 400 years. And now you're in a new place. And what does God do? He starts to address all of their actions and all of their behaviors and all of their sins. Why? Because now that they're free physically, everybody realizes very quickly that they're not free mentally. You may not be a captive, you may not be a slave physically speaking, but you still are mentally speaking. So what does God do? He brings them into experiences and he shows them who he is. I am the Lord, your God, your healer. I am the Lord, your God, your provider. I am the Lord, your God, your righteousness. What is he doing? He's establishing a relationship with his people. This is who I am. And when you know who I am, now you can know who you are. You are supposed to be a holy people, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. See, they don't know, like, they don't know that yet. And they're not living like it, amen? They're not living like it. And if you and I ever look at the children of Israel and we scoff and we mock, Friend, look in the mirror and take heed, amen. It seems to me like every struggle they have is a struggle that we have today. Relational, mental, sexual, all of these bondages that they had in their culture and in their generation and in their time, it seems to me like even the modern church struggles with these things today. And here's what we know from looking at these biblical examples is that our mentality is our reality and knowing who we are dictates what We do because action flows from perspective, but you don't look convinced, so I'm going to convince you. Now, I may or may not have a number of family members, friends, and a couple of you wonderful people in the room who have been vulnerable with me and confessed that you are vegans. Now, we don't need a show of hands today, and I am not poking fun at you. Some of you it's for medical purposes, some of you it's conviction, and some of you don't like the taste of meat. I don't relate to that, but <laughs> I respect you, I do, I respect you. You, don't, you didn't come to church today to get made fun of, all right, no. But I, I, I am alone in my family, I've told you this before, and my family's not here today in this service, so I can say whatever I want. Right? Isn't that what Christians do? We ask for forgiveness later. And I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> that's, that's bad theology. That's uh, Pastor Jared was teaching that. I don't know what he was talking about. <laughs> I don't know what he was talking about. I don't know. I don't know. Not sure. 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 Um, you may, or, you may or may not be a, ve- a vegan, right? So, but here's what's true about you if you're a vegan. And, and I know this because I, because, because of my family is that they, they, first of all, they're not concerned that Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday. Okay. They don't care about that, okay? Sometimes I do. I really, I've, I've actually driven to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday and then got really let down. Like, what is going on right now? Can't we hire some unbelievers on Sunday to keep this thing going? I don't know. Can it be an outreach program? I don't understand. I don't know. I just feel like we could get together and do something about this. I'm not sure. I know that's probably not funny. We can edit. It's okay, guys. It's all right. Um, they're not concerned about that. And the second thing is that when we're sitting down to eat, and we have a bowl of chicken, and then we've got all this other stuff, they, a vegan will move their hand past the chicken, and they'll get the salad and the quinoa, which is a substandard version of rice, by the way, and or the tofu, you know, and occasionally one of them will say, do you want some tofu? And it's got the word toe in it, and I'm like a no, I'm like a no, you know, so the tofu. Uh, and, they're, you know, that's, that's your lot in life. That's what you do. You're used to it. It all tastes the same to you, whatever, okay? But here's, here's the thing. You are a vegan, so you don't do certain things and you do other things. It's based on what you are. You don't sit down at the table and pray about it What should I eat? What should I not eat? You already have pre-decided based on the fact that this is what you are. And friend, I wanna tell you, Christianity works just like that. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're in Christ, there are some things you do and some things you don't do because you've pre-decided this is who you are and we go by what the Bible says. Don't you love that? That's amazing. And so you woke up today and you said, Ben, I wanna embrace my identity in Christ but what is my identity in Christ? Well, it's found in scripture and I'm going to give you 17 things right now that you need to lock into memory. Here they are, ready set go. Number 1, you are a child of God if you're in Christ. You're a son and you're a daughter of God and that will turn your frown upside down right now it should. Number 2 is you're holy to God, which means you're consecrated, you're set apart. He wants to use you for his special purposes. Number three is you're loved by God. There's nothing that you can do that can take his love off of your life. Friend, it is unconditional. If you're in Christ, he doesn't love you more because you had a great performance. He doesn't play favorites. He, is, he actually is a good, good father. And whatever's going on in our life does, does not indicative of whether or not God loves us. Amen. Right? Just because it it's raining today does not mean God doesn't love us Washingtonians. Some of you are wondering, you're like, where is God? God is with us. Maybe the farmers needed the rain. I don't know. Number four is you are chosen by God. He He didn't stumble over you and go, well, I might as well choose you as well. Friends, listen, we are in Christ, chosen to be in Christ We are accepted by God. We are forgiven in Christ. Can I tell you today that if you struggle with forgiveness and because you have that same old sin cropping up, can I just tell you today, yes, we repent. Yes, we ask God to cleanse us. But friends, we are forgiven in Jesus Christ. If you belong to him, you're forgiven. You don't have to struggle with your salvation because it's through him that we are forgiven. It's not through us. You are delivered from the power of, of darkness. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit and he lives in you. You are redeemed from the curse of the law. You're victorious in Christ. You're free in Christ. You're a co-heir with Christ. You didn't earn it, build it, save for it, and yet somehow you and I get the inheritance with him. It's not a fair deal for him, but what a gift it is for us. The Bible says we're going to rule and reign and we are co-heirs, which means we get an inheritance that he paid for. Wow, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. You might feel nothing like it. You walk around and you're like, I'm just an average somebody and it doesn't matter. Nobody loves me or likes me. But when you walk around in Federal Way or Auburn or Milton or wherever you're from, you walk around, you go to the store, you're an ambassador of Christ. You go to work, you're an ambassador of Christ. You may not feel like it and you may not be a good one yet. <laughs> You may not be doing that all well, but it doesn't change what you are. You can hide from it. You can act like that's not what you are, but you're going to sense the spirit of God constantly prodding you. You're an ambassador of Christ. You're more than this. You have more than this because you are. You are an ambassador of Jesus. G- you, men- you have his message. You have his ministry. You have his power. This is inc- This is incredible. So we got to stop pushing it off and like, well, they're good at it. And, you know, they're just that that person really anointed. And that's what that's what we do. That's what we do. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You are the workmanship of God in Christ. Listen, friend, you're not a piece of work. You're the workmanship of God in Christ. You ever heard that term? You're a piece of work. You just got to stand up and go, I am the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. You are healed through the finished work of Christ. You are raised with him and seated in heavenly places. I, mean, I don't even have a theology for that. All I know is that when I, you come to Christ, he puts eternity in your life. You're not waiting for eternity. Eternity now is bound up in you through the power of the Holy Spirit. We're seated with him in heavenly places. This promise is secure. It's true. But that's not all. This might be who we are in Christ, but Paul says something else. In this passage and in others. And, this, and here's what it is. You are not who you were. In the passage, Paul deals with all this, these aspects of struggle, but it really focuses on identity. Look at verse 3. He says, You have died, and your true life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. Your old life has died. And we need to reconcile that. Verse 7 you once lived that way in your past sins, but no longer put all that stuff away. You, maybe you used to do all that, but it's not who you are anymore. So put all that stuff away. Verse nine, don't lie. Amen. That's a great message right there. Stop lying. You know, that, don't hit nobody right now. Just don't lie. That's your old self. You're being renewed in the image of God. You're a follower of Jesus. We don't lie. We tell the truth. We don't compromise that. See, when you know who you are, you know what you do. Don't lie because you're being renewed in the image of God. That's who you are. Your integrity is not just because you're a good person. You know, I'm a really upstanding citizen. I'm a really, as a Christian, we're followers of Jesus, which dictates what we actually are. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. These are all professions of truth saying, you are not who you were, so don't do what you did. But look what he says to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6 and 9. He says, do you not know? Man, that sounds like a parental comment if I ever heard one before. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now he's talking about unbelievers who continue in that way of life and he's reminding them that's what they used to be. So watch this. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Watch this statement. This is very important. And that is what some of you were. Everybody say were. Were. is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let me give you the, te- text, or the context for this. This is a, is a very interesting passage. Paul has an affinity for the Corinthian church. He had been there for a year and a half. During that time, he had raised up many believers. They had planted churches. This is a wicked city. This is a city that worships other gods in all kinds of ways, ways we don't want to talk about today. They come out of their pagan lifestyle. Many of the believers, many of them were leaders. They're probably six to eight years old as a Christian. He hears word that they're going back to some of their ways. So they're following Christ, but then they're practicing some of these pagan things as well. So they're, it's mixture, it's mixture, right? So they can live in the world and then, and then they, and they can claim Christ. And Paul's hearing about this and he's deeply grieved. And he's basically saying this, you have to understand something. This is not who you are anymore. You can't go back to that way of life. So here's what they're doing. They're having these disputes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And because they can't resolve them, because they're giving themselves to worldly thinking, they start to sue each other, and they take one another to a secular court. And Paul is exhorting them. In fact, he's correcting them, and he's saying, the disputes that you have in the church, you're a believer, and you're a believer, and you can't reconcile this, and that's shameful. That's what he's saying. It's shameful. So you're taking each other to court and you're letting people decide on these issues that you have in your family and community and they don't even think like you. They don't think like Christ. They're not thinking about who you are. They're not thinking about the future of the church or reaching people with the mission and the message of Jesus. And you're letting them decide what you guys are supposed to be doing. And he goes, this is what he says. Do you not know that there's a day coming where you're gonna judge angels? Now, listen, guys, I don't have a theology for judging angels, okay? (laughs) But Paul says there's coming a day where you guys are gonna be judging angels and you can't settle your own disputes. Here's what he's saying. Rise up and become what Jesus paid for. Become what God intended when he created you. This little stuff, if you can't handle this, you don't even know what you're supposed to be. Do you not know what you are? Do you not know what God has called you to be? Have you so lessened what this thing is that it's become a little religion where you can do whatever you want and and live in sort of this syncretism of all kinds of religions and all kinds of perspectives and all kinds of ideas? He's like, you are not that anymore. Give your life to Jesus. Walk in what he says that you are because you're gonna see one day what you're supposed to become. And it's gonna shock you. So start walking in it now. He goes, do you not know? I love it. He says it three times. Do you not know who you are? Wow. Wow. We're going to be tempted and tested in life, but we are not what we were. And we are not what the world says we are. Can I tell you today that the world is confused? The world is confused, but you can't be confused. You can't be confused about your sexuality. You can't be confused about your ideology. You can't be confused about your theology. Friend, there are some things in here, it's just not that difficult. I understand why some people in the world, and when I wasn't a Christian, I was confused. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who God was. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't understand. My, my feelings dictated my actions, my feelings, my experiences, where I was born, how I was raised, all of those things dictated how I lived my life, but then I was washed. come on, Then I was renewed, then I was cleansed, then I was set free. And after that happened, now, if I don't know something, I know where to get something. I know that it's the word of the Living God that dictates my attitude and my actions on all things pertaining to life and godliness. And you don't have to be confused. But when you're looking at the culture, when you're listening to idea, of course, everyone else is going to be confused, but you can't be. You know, I was thinking about um, something that we'd probably, I don't know if you feel the way I do, but I am going to believe in my heart that you do. I love watching kids sports. Like when the little girls, girls and boys, when they're like this, you know, when they're real small, it's kind of therapeutic, isn't it? It's funny. (laughs) Like you never know what they're going to do. Certainly, they're trying to play a game, but it's really not the game that they're supposed to be playing. It's like, uh, and you know, it happened with all my kids, but I used to really enjoy it when my kids were playing basketball and soccer, particularly basketball, because there's always that kid that, you know, gets off the bench and they sort of feel like nobody passes (coughs) me the ball. And so they're just waiting to like grab the ball at whatever cost. And so they grab the ball, and then they just book it all the way down, and they don't dribble or anything. they just probably go like this. go <laughs> like this they don 't even care they 're just trying to get to the basket. that 's all they care about, right? So they run, they run, and they go down, and it 's undisputed. You know where i 'm going it's undisputed they 're running down the court, it 's an undisputed run, it's like a marathon. They get down there, they 're practically by themselves, and they 're throwing the ball up several times, kind of playing basketball by themselves. and finally the basketball goes in the hoop and they do the victory dance and they're all excited. And then they turn and they look at their teammate and their, teammate, their teammates have disgust on their face. And then there's all those overzealous parents that are trying to hold back their yell, but you know, they really need to get delivered. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> because what they did was they just scored a point for the other team. And you can see it on the kid's face, like shame starts to overtake their face. They have a moment where they, and it's a terrible thing. I did it when I was a kid more than once. I, I'll tell it myself, it happened. And I think this is a picture sometimes for Christians in, 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 in a certain way, is that as Christians, we're on team Jesus, but the devil wants to trick us to play for his team with a Jesus jersey on. And it's shameful, isn't it? That you, uh, you're, you're part of one team, But you're putting up points for another team. And when the world sees that, you know what they think? They think it's okay. It's okay to live however you want and then just claim I'm part of the Jesus team. And friends, Paul says, no, it's not. It's not okay. Our feelings, our attitudes, our experiences, all those things, we feel them, we have them, everybody does, but they don't dictate our way of life. If you're in Christ, Christ then dictates who we are and what we're called to do. We're called to be on his team and play for his team and put points on the board for Team Jesus. But the enemy wants to distort our identity so we can't hear it. He wants to pixelate our identity so we can't see it, we can't read it, we don't have a good picture of it. And I wanna summarize some false identity traps today by declaring what our identity is not found in. And these are five things that your identity is not found in based on scripture. Number one, your identity is not based on your past sins or what you have done. I wanna show you a picture of my friend. This is shameful Stephen. Stephen walks in the past. his past guilt. His past sins still weigh him down. He knows Jesus died for him. The Bible says good stuff about how he can change, but he doesn't feel like it. He doesn't think it. And actually, deep down, shameful Stephen does not believe it. He doesn't believe that the changing power that's offered to him through Jesus Christ is really going to do anything in his life. So he lives a guilty life based on what he did and he can't fully accept the blood of Jesus in his life, what Jesus did. The truth is this for Stephen, his label is shame and shame has dismissed the power of the blood of Jesus and his past in Christ is forgiven even if he doesn't believe it and he needs to know it. So here's what we know. You may feel your sin. You may need to work through your past with someone. But Jesus has set you free and your identity needs to inform your feelings, not your feelings inform your identity. Number two, your identity is not based on your past wounds or what someone has done to you. This is wounded will. (laughs) Wounded will has been hurt by many in his life. He didn't ask for it. He didn't want it. He doesn't understand it. Will loves God, but he has a hard time reconciling his past by trusting God and forgiving other people. He reacts to people because he's hurt, because hurt people actually do hurt people. So he has anger and judgment and confusion and frustration. And all of this makes it worse in his life. And he blames everyone else, but he never seems to look in the mirror because it's too painful. It's easier for him to medicate the pain rather than continue to deal with it because he feels like the injustice that has happened to him somehow gets him out of him having to forgive and bless and love and pray for others. And so he's been deceived. And here's the truth. Satan wants to define will by will's scars, but Jesus wants to identify will by his scars. And will needs to understand this. What Jesus has done for him is stronger and more powerful than what others have done against him. And I think some of us can relate to wounded will. Number three, your identity is not based on your current struggles, your trials, your temptations, or even your illness. This is struggling Sarah. She struggles with daily temptation. She gives in enough to feel like she will never change. She hears that people at church and they share their testimony about freedom and healing. And, and although she wants to celebrate that, her struggles run so deep, it makes her feel like she's different than them and she's never, ever going to change. And even though she knows better and she knows that the Bible says she can't seem to get victory... So what she does is she stops telling people about what's going on in her life because she gets embarrassed by confessing the same old sin. If I tell people how are they gonna see me, I just told them last week, I just told them yesterday. So if I tell them that this keeps going on in my life, all it's gonna do is make me worse. So she falls into a pattern of isolation and she spirals down and down and down. And the truth is this, friends, and listen closely. Sarah is holy before God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Sarah is an overcomer, if not initially, eventually. She has the Spirit of God helping her overcome the small things that are hard for her to see. And the enemy wants to discourage even the slightest progress. See, sometimes when you're contending for these big breakthroughs, you don't see the small things that God's doing in your life. And instead of being thankful for the little progress that you're making because of the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, you're constantly discouraged that this one thing in your life is not gone. And friend, I want to tell you, God wants to open our eyes. Maybe you relate to struggling Sarah. Maybe not, but there's more. Number four, your identity is not based on your vocation or what you do for a living. This is career Chris. He's climbing the ladder of success. His value and his worth is outstanding at work, and he feels great about it. I am killing it. He makes great money, so he treats himself to the nice car and nicer stuff, and he takes his family on a really expensive vacation. He's really proud of that. He doesn't read his Bible much. He doesn't pray much because his work is so great and the money is running in. He doesn't feel like he needs to pray because he's blessed by the Lord, but something's missing. His family doesn't want more stuff. They don't want expensive vacations. They want more of Chris. Chris doesn't feel valued at home, but he doesn't realize that his investment is almost entirely in his work and not in his home, and that's actually the problem. He feels undervalued and underappreciated at home. So instead of changing all of that and aligning his heart with God's priorities, he isolates even more and becomes a man of the world and he secretly loathes Christians who really have decided to live it out. The truth about Chris is the money's gonna run out. His career's gonna end at some point. The thing that his identity has been rooted in and he's going to be left with his spiritual life, whatever investment that he has made and the people in his life that God's called him to prioritize. And Paul says to him in verse one, like he would say to any of us, seek the things that are above and not the things that are below. Put your energy and your effort and your time and all of that into the things that matter. And oh, how quickly this world will suck us into this vortex to build bigger barns and to have more money for what? For what? Career Chris, number five, your identity is not. Is this, uh, you guys look like a tree full of owls. You all right? (laughs) Good morning. Number five, and finally, your identity is not based on your status in society or what you have compared to others. This is famous Fiona. (laughs) I didn't know. I didn't know. (laughs) She lives for the approval of others. She seeks it through social media attention, her fashion or anything that brings notice to her. She does love Jesus, but she struggles with comparing herself to others. And this has deep roots inside of her and she doesn't feel important or valuable in the eyes of others. And even when she does, it's never enough. The truth for Fiona is that she needs a revelation that Jesus is enough and his encouragement and his perspective is worth more than what she will ever get from anyone else. This would help her give and be the contribution that God's called her to be with pure motives because that's who God made her to be. She struggles with giving herself and giving her gifts and giving her time, talent, and treasure because she's really bound up in this life of giving to get or doing to be seen. It's something that runs deep in, inside of her, and, and I want to tell you that she's not going to get to the end of her life and hear Jesus say, well done, good and famous servant. That's just not what Jesus says, and so somewhere, in some way, we relate to some of this, and there is bantering Ben, so I don't want to forget about him. I mean, he's nobody's, nobody's like this guy, this guy, you know, this guy, I want to tell you about this guy. Whether we struggle with false identities or we're tempted by things in this life, which we all are, we have to understand that our identity has to be rooted in Christ. That's what's growing, and that's how we grow, and that's how we change. So how do we walk in the new? That's the question I want to give you a couple things before we close today. Number one is we have to reaffirm the Bible as our source of truth and ultimate authority. Look what Paul says to a struggling pastor in the city of Ephesus in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, You continue in the things that you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from your childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now look at this. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, so the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good, good work. Paul's saying that We need to continue in the scriptures no matter what the narrative or the message is in the generation and the circle that we're a part of. Continue in the scriptures. They save your soul. They teach you. They train you. They correct you. They do not change. Everything else might change, but the scriptures do not change. Continue in them. Why does he say this to a pastor? Because when the going gets tough and the boat starts to rock, we tend to grab everything but scripture when that happens. And he's talking about when times are turbulent, when things are difficult, grab scripture for your life. It's the only thing that will keep you stable. The Bible isn't the source of our truth about who we are and what we, if the Bible isn't the source of truth for who we are and what we do, then here's my question, What is? What is? Too many have given themselves to subjective experience. It's how I feel, it's what I think, it's what I want, it's what I'm doing, it's what somebody told me. Friend, that's not going to be good enough. And at some point, everybody, whether they say it or not, they're going to find that that does not work. It does not work, and it absolutely will fail us. Number two, seek after the things that build your new way of life. He says, seek the things that are above. I've already said this, but we employ our energy, our time, our resources into God's priorities. And it's never too late. Friends, it's never too late. No matter how much failure we might have had at this, how bad we might have done at this, how we feel about this, we need to start today. Put our energy and our efforts into the things that matter to the Lord. And number three, he says, set your mind, not only seek, but set your mind on what's true about the new you. Set your mind on things above, not on things below. Our mind has to constantly be renewed to what the word of God teaches we're literally baptized into a culture that is completely anti-Christ. I mean, even if it's subtle, it's, it's off. Remember I showed you last week the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's, it's five and a half degrees off, but man, it looks like a hundred degrees off. I mean, it's, it, and this is what it's like today in our, in our world, is, is that our world is just bent towards a different way, a different disposition. And we can get angry about that, or we can make sure that our life is upright, and the plumb line of God's word. We have to set our mind on his word. And then number four, put to death the desires and the actions of your old ways. This is what Paul says. Verse five, he says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, greed, which amounts to idolatry. Consider your members, your body, dead to those feelings, those thoughts, those temptations, those things. It doesn't mean temptation isn't gonna come. It just means that when it comes, you say, that's not who I am. Friends, when it comes, when when the past comes knocking at the door, and it will, when temptation comes knocking on your door, and it will, we say, that is not who I am. It's not about me being a good person or even a godly person. It's about me being a Christ-like person. It's not who I am. So he says, put it to death the illustration that he gives is take off the old life. It's very much like take off a coat that doesn't fit. Now, I don't wanna show a hands today, but I know that a lot of us have clothes in our wardrobe, in our closet that we, they don't fit, and they're not awesome, and we should have gotten rid of them a long time ago. But you're sentimentally attached to them for some strange reason. It's funny because when you get married, you get confronted on this real quick. Like, ladies, you keep your clothes for different reasons. Maybe it was a memory or it was expensive or whatever, but guys keep it. We don't even know why. I actually am convinced that the tank top is literally the result of a disintegrated shirt. Like, that's how the tank top came into to be. Like, why did you even keep that? It is now, it used to be a shirt. Now it's a tank top. It's amazing. That's where it came from, guys. The fact is, is that if you wore that old coat that is disintegrated, you wore it to church, people would judge you. Let's just be honest. It doesn't matter how good godly people they are. They go, wow, that coat is weird. And if you're married to somebody, they would say, please take that off before you get out of the car and go into the church building. Please take that off because they're being kind. Amen. We all have those clothes. Paul gives the illustration when it comes to we're dead to our old way of life. He says, take it off. It doesn't fit anymore. It's not for you anymore. Don't justify it. Don't make excuses for it. Don't act like it's not there. Stop trying to hide it. Take it off and throw it away. That's not who you are anymore. And you have to rise up and be the different person that God's called you to be. You say, Pastor Ben, I'm not living like that right now. doesn't matter. You could start living like it today. I haven't done good with this. Doesn't matter. Either you're gonna live in the failure of your attempt to live like Christ or you're gonna live in your ability to move forward and say, God can help me to be who he's called me to be. But our faith has gotta be in Jesus and not in ourself, not in our failure, not in our attempts, not in our good days, not in our bad days. Our faith has to be in Jesus Christ, period. The same grace that brought us into faith in Christ is the same grace that brings us on in Christ. The way in is the way on. And Paul rebuked the Galatian church. Because he said, who's bewitched you? Having begun in the spirit, now you're gonna carry on in the flesh? Like, you're gonna do this now on your own? You gotta keep taking off that old coat. Put it aside. Burn it if you have to. Get rid of it. Deal with the old things of your life by moving on. Confess your sin. Deal with your past. Repent. Reconcile. It's a gift that we're even able to do that. And the last is respond to circumstances and situations with Jesus as your pattern. I say this to you a bunch. Jesus is not just the payment for your sins. He's the pattern for your life. What we see in him is nature, his character, is virtue. That's what I'm going after. Nobody else takes his place. I don't want to be like anybody else. I don't want anybody else's anointing. I don't want to be like anybody. I want to be like Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, that we're growing into him from glory to glory, from faith to faith, from strength to strength. This is who we're after. This is what we want to be like there's no better goal than this. Any any lesser goal is not worth having. And I'd I'd tell you today, let's go back to the WWJD days, right? You remember those bracelets? I mean, I never had one, but I saw you guys had some, you know. I never had one. Half of us had them because every time we did something wrong, we had to snap ourselves. That's right. Snap. Sorry, Lord. Sorry. Snap. Some of you families, you just hear a snap every about every, every hour or so. You just, yep, you know, that's, that's we know what's going on. We need to go back to the simplicity of just doing what Jesus would do. It's that simple. What would Jesus do? Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I, I only do what I see the Father doing. What if we walked into every situation and we said, what would the Father do in this situation? What would Jesus do in this situation? It's that simple. It sounds funny, it's like a Christian quip, but maybe it's not so funny. Maybe, maybe it's actually the way forward. In a crooked and depraved generation, as Paul says to the Philippian church, that we hold out for the word of truth in a crooked and depraved generation. Wow, what would Jesus do? This is how we grow. We can no longer say that we can't choose righteousness because by the spirit of the living God, we can. Would you stand? I wanna share this with you as I close. I was praying, and uh, I had this vision, and, and I need you to hear this. This is, this is important. Sometimes the Lord will show me, like, pictures and as I pray, and uh, some of you, most of you know that, but um, I just happened to have tape in my office, so I was like, okay, well, I saw it. I want to share it. I was, um, I had a vision of people coming into the church building and as they were coming in, they had these labels on them. Like this one says past wounds, and this one says shame, and this one says sinner. You know, there's just a generic brand here, right? Just a generic brand, sinner, there it is. And I saw people walk in, and they had these like labels on them, and they had all these things that were written on them. And I, I, would, I was seeing this in the spirit, and it was like the greeter who was giving someone a, a brochure, a, a bulletin. It's like they gave him the bulletin, but at the same time they go, as they walk by, they ripped one of the labels off. They go, oh, that doesn't. That doesn't belong to you. That's not who you are. And they walked into the sanctuary and they still had some of these labels on them because not all of them, the greeter couldn't get them all. They wanted to, but they were not that aggressive. (laughs) So they came in and they sat down like where you are today. And then somebody went up to greet the person and they shook their hand and they said, oh, hi, how are you? And at the same time they shook their hand, they took another label off and And then somebody came up during worship and saw that there was still a label on a person and they took the other label off. And by the time, come on, the word of God started to get preached, it was like all of these things didn't matter anymore. And I just realized what the Lord was saying is is that we are a community of followers of Jesus and that our call is to take the labels off of one another. And we do that because we know what the word of God says about who we are. This is not who we are. We're We're not shameful, Stephen. We're not struggling, Sarah. We're not wounded, Will we're not career Chris, we're sons and daughters of God. And you've you've come here today to gather with brothers and sisters to tell one another who God is, what he's done, and what that means for each one of us. There is no greater news than that. We take the labels off. I pray to God that the church of Jesus in the days ahead don't put the labels back on people. As it seems to me, that's been happening for far too long. And by God's grace, may he use us to take the labels off of each other because we are sons and daughters of the living God. And friends, if you know who you are, you know what you do and you know what you don't do. And so let's pray. I wanna pray Ephesians chapter one and verse 18 over you today. This is what it says here. Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened or opened so that you will know the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might. Paul prayed it. Let's pray it today. Father, we pray that you would open our eyes to see who you are and to see who we are in you. This isn't some prideful stance that autonomously we're something great. It's that as we are in you, we are cleansed, we are washed, we are set free. And we can walk in the freedom that you promise. Father, I pray you would open our eyes to see it. I pray that you would open our hearts to receive it. We thank you for it today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.